Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 377 for the 10th of Kislev in Alibir. So pretty recently on the podcast, we spoke about our total and utter dependence upon food and how really this points to our frailty as human beings. And we spoke about the idea that this is because the source of food, the source of things that we eat, actually has a higher spiritual force than our own. We spoke about the idea that, you know, the mineral life, the uh, plant life, all of these things, all physicality actually uh, are coming from the fallen sparks, the 288 fallen sparks from the the breaking of the vessels, uh, which are ultimately sourced in this high place, this high name of God called Sag, Whereas our souls come from the name Ma, which is a lower level, albeit a more rectified level. Today, we're going to talk about water. Uh, water, even more than food, is something that we really depend on. So, you know, intermittent fasting, we've spoken about that as well. Even people who do these prolonged fasts, it's rare that you'll find somebody do a water fast as well, where they will fast from water. Usually when you're hearing about these longer fasts, they're still drinking water. Water is one of those things that we really, really is, is very, very, very essential to life. And so with that being said, I think it's interesting that in today's Tanya, as we'll see, the Alter Rebbe brings up water as an analogy for Torah, which is a very apt analogy, and it's an analogy that's often used throughout Judaism, is this analogy of Torah with water. One of the reasons why water is used as an analogy for Torah, which is, the, which is what the Alter Rebbe is going to focus on today, is the idea that water is a very powerful substance in that it can go from a very high place to a low place and get into different crevices and stuff like that. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't change. Even if the water gets dirty, let's say, or something like that, there are always ways to purify it, to filter it, you know, to clarify it and things like that. Essentially, the water itself passes through everywhere. You know, this is why, let's say if you, um, if you have a water bottle, you want to make sure that it's really, really tightly so tight because even the smallest little, little crack, you know, in the cup or the water bottle or whatever, the water will get through that. The water can get through the most minuscule of all cups. And this is how Torah works. Torah is ultimately God's wisdom and God's will. And God's wisdom and God's will is what vivifies the entire world that we're living in. And while we've spoken about this, that, you know, the, the source of the entire world that we live in is God's wisdom. For most things in our reality, this wisdom had to go through many concealments. We spoke about these tzimtzumim, right? And how it came about through speech, how, how creation, for the most part, came about through God's speech, uh, which, which involved a lot of con contractions and concealments of this wisdom. 
However, there's one way, there's one channel through which God's wisdom did not get concealed in the same manner as everything else in, cre- in creation. And that's the Torah. The Torah is the one thing that we have that is sort of like the purified version of God's wisdom that God as a, as a gift gave us to access. And this is why the Torah is likened to water. Now, what's curious about this Torah is that Torah is something which we access through our minds, right? It's something that we study. And ultimately, you know, the purpose of, of the learning Torah, especially if we're learning about the laws of Torah, is for us to practice these laws and do these laws with our physical bodies. Now, there's a little bit of a problem here. There's a little bit of an issue. What's that? The issue is that our, our minds and our bodies are not Torah. Our minds and our bodies are limited in nature. They, they are creations. They do fall into this category of things that God created through his speech, right? So what happens then? Does the Torah get compromised in that sense when we learn it or when we do the laws? Um, does it remain the same? What's the story? What's what's actually happening? So this is what we're going to be uh, exploring today is this relationship between Torah and what happens to the Torah when it descends down here into our world and how we relate to it when we study it. And how does the study of Torah differ, by the way, this is a, another big topic that's going to be addressed, between our love and fear of God. Because our love and fear of God are also subjective experiences that happen through our our intellects, that they happen as a result of our intellects. Even if we're having an emotional experience where we love and fear God, that uh, is, is our emotions are, are usually generated by our thoughts, by our intellect. So what's the difference? The one, we learn Torah with our subjective minds and we love God with our subjective um, minds, right? So what's the difference? So in short, we'll get into the way that Altarba explains it soon. But in short, the way to understand it is that uh, when we learn Torah, what we're doing is we're accessing the source of this water, so to speak, this downward flow of energy, this downward flow of, uh, of the source. We're, we're receiving nourishment from that source, from that water. And when we have this... Um, generate this love and fear of God, when we're experiencing this love and fear of God, what we're doing in that case is we're actually being nourished by the water. It's like we're drinking from the water, which is a different kind of experience, right? So it's sort of like, if you think about it, let's say you have a uh, an ocean, like a big body of water that's like the source for many rivers and lakes and things like that. And it depends kind of on your orientation. Like, are you in a, s- a state of receptivity of the ocean and of the source of the ocean? And, 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 and like, sort of like you're in a lake that's coming from the ocean and you're bathing in the lake and you're like, oh, wow, this lake is, it's really amazing that it comes from this amazing ocean ocean or are you taking a little drink of water from that ocean and you're quenching your thirst from it uh and and the focus is then on this little bit of water that came out from the ocean and the focus on the fact that you are quenching your thirst and you feel so satisfied with this feeling that you have now that feeling that you have of quenching your thirst from this water that feeling is not the water that feeling is yes it's, it comes from the water and you're, you've quenched your thirst due to the water but it's it's not the water itself and it's it's not the same thing as like acknowledging like, oh, wow, I am basking in this water. I'm receiving from the water, right? Um, so let's let's get into how the ultra bit explains all of this. And another disclaimer, I give this disclaimer almost every single day these days on the podcast. We're still in the middle of essay four of Kuntras Ahran, which is really, it's known. This, this section is 
uh, is notorious for being like the hardest section of Tanya. So there's a lot of Kabbalah in it. There's a lot of intricate details. I'm doing my best to try to understand these concepts as best as possible and give these things over to you. Any mistakes I make are my own, obviously. And if you ever notice an error that I make in any in explaining any of these concepts, please bring it to um, to my attention. Uh, I welcome comments uh, on the YouTube. Uh, any thoughts that you have about this? Anything you want to explore further? I'd love to have these ideas open for more discussion. And I think that the biggest takeaway that I'm taking from learning these, this section of the Tanya is just how deep Chassidus is and how many things there are to explore and how many layers there are and layers upon layers upon layers. And these terms, while we think we have a grasp of the term, like the term Neshama that's going to come up today, we might think, oh, I know what that means. But then there's like another layer to it that, that we uncover. And it's like, oh, that's another way that we can look at it. So, okay. So, uh, so for today, as we mentioned, so we're still in the middle of essay four of Kuntra's Ahran. Um, and we've been discussing this whole dynamic between um, keeping the mitzvahs, between our intellectually generated love and fear of God and between studying Torah and how all of these things relate to one another. What is, is one better than the other? In what way is it better, superior or, or different or whatever? And we kind of came to this conclusion that there's a very big advantage to keeping mitzvahs, to performing mitzvahs over just generating a f sense of love and fear of God. Because generating a, a sense of love and fear of God is a very subjective thing and it's very much dependent upon me and there's me and there, there's my love and fear of God versus when I actually do a mitzvah, what I'm doing is I'm tapping into God's will in an unadulterated format. It's This is God said do this thing, so I do that thing and I'm I'm attaching myself to God's actual will. I'm not just like, you know, creating my own ideas about who God is and whatever it is, you know, even if those ideas are based on the Torah. There's something a little bit more pure about doing the mitzvahs. And then we took this logic a little bit further and we said that this applies not only to actual performance of the mitzvahs, but there's something to this even if we just learn about the laws of the Torah. Because when we learn about the laws of the Torah, especially if it's for the sake of performing the laws, then this creates a similar kind of effect. But then this got into a deeper discussion about what is this, what about like, those, okay, that's all well and good if we learn about the positive laws of the Torah that have to do with practically doing these laws. But does this apply also to the prohibitions? What about prohibitions that are extremely theoretical in nature and the most likely will not apply to us? How do these actually, can we say that these too have a similar effect to doing the mitzvahs and do they also have this kind of like unadulterated um unfiltered give us this unadulterated unfiltered connection uh in a way that love and fear of god cannot so um so today uh, we're exploring this further and we're going to talk about the difference the difference between love and fear of god intellectually generated love and fear of god and learning about the halachas so we left off yesterday talking about how this intellectually love and fear of god is is ultimately it's coming from a place that involves more creation it's more um it's more hidden it's it has to do with um with with created beings whether we're talking about angels or people that are there is somebody who loves there is somebody who fears which implies that there's a difference which implies that there's a creation there's a creation that is having feelings towards the creator which is um, which is not the case, begins the altar of it today, when it comes to the halachas, when it comes to the actual laws, the learning of the Torah, the radiance of chokhmah that shines within them radiates in a way that is revealed. And, uh, and, and when we say that it becomes 
vested within the world of ASEA, because the world of ASEA is this physical we, world we live in, it's only by way of a uh, passage. In Hebrew, a ma'avar, it means. So we're going to explore what that means, a ma'avar. So it's basically what the altar is saying is that like, um, yes, you know, we learn Torah, but the, the, when we learn about these different laws, these halachas, they relate to our physical world. So there is a relationship to physicality, uh, which is a very concealed world. But it, the, the relationship, the way that it transfers over, that the tzachma passes through, is in a way of just like a passage. It's, 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 it's not vested in, in a sense of concealment, as we'll see. So what the way one way that we can understand this, says the Ultra Bet, is when we look at a holiday. So when we look at like a Yom Tov holiday, it's taught that the Chesed of Atsilas um, becomes vested, with totally vested within the Chesed of, of Bria, which vivifies our world at that time through passing through the levels of Chesed of Yitzira and Asiya which is also called a vestment at that time, like a garment at that time. Because, and it needs to be called like a garment, or otherwise it wouldn't relate to our world at all. So just that's, again, very technical there. So just the basic idea is that there's there's a, a concept that different, part that our world is usually vivified by the world by the world of Asiya, as we've learned right it's actually taught that the land of Israel is usually vitalized by the world of Yitzira which is a little bit higher but then what happens on Yom Tov is we actually get this like higher radiance and we're getting a radiance from the level of Chesed of Bria and so the little point the altar is making here is that the way that this happens on Yom Tov is that the level of Chesed of Bria actually vivifies the world. And even though, yes, it has to pass through the levels of Chesed of Yitzira and Chesed of, um, of, of Asiya, then it's only passing through by way of a passage. It's not, it, this doesn't represent like an actual concealment. So we're, we're getting pure um, complete chesed of Bria on a uh, holiday, which actually is coming from the chesed Vatsilis, says the Altar Rebbe. So, um, okay, so that's all well and good. However, we do know that there is a concealment that happens because it's like, you know, when we, we've all had Yom Tov, yes, there's a very special feeling on Yom Tov. Maybe we feel a little extra level of holiness or whatever, but do we actually feel you know, God, like, is it like, how much are we actually feeling this? There is a certain amount of concealment that happens because we are physical beings after all, we're here in the physical world. And so there's a concealment that happens in our world. And it even conceals the level of chesed of Asiya, which is the, the lowest wor world, but it's the chesed of that lowest world. So basically, like, Anytime we're dealing with this physical world, so even when we're talking about the halachas in this physical world, again, as I've mentioned, it's like when we do these different halachas, we light Shabbos candles, we put on tefillin or whatever. It's like we don't see God at the moment when we're doing it, right? It might give us a nice feeling, but we're not like actually seeing the godliness in it. So what do we mean that it's coming down in this way that is unadulterated, that is not concealed? So so this is a this is in terms of the law itself which is not physical yes we do the law with physical things but the actual law itself the actual halacha this is god's will which comes from the supernal chokhmah of god whether um we should be makel or whether we should be machmir like whether we should say um you know yes this is permitted or no this is we're not allowed to do this uh so so the actual law itself is not physical and it's totally revealed but just that it comes down when it comes down here and becomes revealed in physical things so then the way that we have to think about it 
is this is where the analogy of water comes in is that it's it's descending from a very high place to a very low place just like water descends from a very high place to a very low place just like if you let's say are and in um in right near if you're walking down in, in like some place in nature or something like that and like you see a little trickle of water you don't see necessarily where that water is coming from but perhaps it's coming from a, a lake nearby that that's receiving its water from a huge ocean. But all you see is that little trickle of water. And the truth is that little trickle of water is the same water that's found in that ocean. And so going back to halachos, so yes, the physical object that we perform the mitzvahs, mitzvahs with does in fact conceal. Uh, so for example, the altar rabbi gives a couple of examples in halacha. One is, let's say, if somebody is selling, uh, supposed to be selling a, a, a cow in the marketplace, but then instead they sell a donkey, you know, so that's like a very physical kind of halacha that involves physical cows and physical donkeys. Or there's also the idea of uh, the, sacri- the the prohibition of pigle, which we've mentioned before. Pigle is this idea of bringing sacrifices and then there's an inappropriate thought that a person has when they bring the sacrifice and that could actually make the sacrifice not kosher anymore. So all of these different ty- types of halachas, they pretty much all involve physical objects that are used for all kinds of different things. Like there are many uses for donkeys and cows and all these things, right? So the donkey and the cow doesn't really um, uh, manifest godliness in and of itself. But yet the law itself, with the reasoning behind it, this itself is something else. This itself is what, why is it more pure and unadulterated is because it's from the aspect of, this gets a little technical, of malchus of Bria and Yitzira of the aspect of neshama. So this is introducing us to a certain concept, which we're going to be talking about more in detail tomorrow, which is this idea of the neshama level. So um, this word neshama might be pretty familiar to you guys, and I kind of hinted at it in the introduction that there is more to it than meets the eye. But one thing, one way to, uh, you know, a lot of these terms in Hasidus, again, are very there's a lot of relativity. It's like, what what do we mean by neshama here? What do we mean by neshama there? There are a lot of like, you know, terms that can be used in many different ways. So one way to understand the term neshama is that every world that we're talking about uh, and every, um, like whether we're talking about the world of Asiya or Yitzira or Brea or Atsilas has different layers of, of, of layers of soul to it. There's the layer of the neshama, there's the layer of the Ruach and there's the layer of the Nefesh, which are the two lower ones. So now the layer of the Neshama <clears throat> is actually uh, the source of it, where it comes from, is from the Malchus of the world before it. And what comes from the Neshama is the Nefesh and the Ruach, which it vivifies. So the Neshama sort of serves as this, as this intermediary between that which is above it and that which is below it. Now, the other thing to know about the Neshama is the Neshama is made up of the 10 spheros. So when we talk about like the 10 spheros of each world, this is the Neshama level of each world. And so within those 10 spheros of of each world, one of the spheres, the lowest of all spheres, is Malchus, right? So now let's get back to the text and now we can understand a little bit better is that when we talk about the Halachos, then what we're saying is that the Halachos are the level of Malchus of either Bria or Yitzira. So it's, they're related to two different worlds of Bria or Yitzira of the aspect of the neshama. So we're talking about the neshama level within these two worlds of Bria and Yitzira. And we're specifically talking about the level of Malchus, which in within each one of those things. And since we're talking about the level of neshama, 
then this level of neshama is pure elokus. It's pure godliness. That's the special power of neshama within each world is it's pure and unadulterated godliness that descends from world to world. And, but because we're talking about the level of malchus within, within the neshama of these worlds, this malchus, it's the lowest of the levels that vivifies and gives rise to uh, the nefesh and ruach of these lower worlds, of the Briyat Tiranesia. Now, what are the nefesh and ruach of, of these lower worlds, of specifically the Briya and Yitzira of these lower worlds? Well, this brings us back to what we've been d- discussing in previous episodes. This is the love and fear of the Malachim and of the souls, of the angels and the souls, and their Chabads, their intellect, which comes about no- something from nothing, which, so meaning they're, 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 cre- they're created beings, so the, uh, the creation of their minds. And so thus, since the whole source of these, um, these, this uh, love and fear of the souls and love and fear of the angels comes from this neshama, they're like totally dependent upon the neshama level. This, um, with the analogy of the water, what does this water do? What does this neshama do? What do these halachas do? They quench their thirst. They quench the thirst of the love and fear of these angels and of these souls. And it quenches their thirst thirst before it descends down into this world. So uh, so before the halachas actually come into this world and, and are still coming down, like they're still in this like higher state, then it quenches their thirst. And also after it comes down into this lower world. So even after it comes down into this lower world, into this world of Asiya, uh, it's still considered to be higher than the level of Chochmah Bina Das of Asiya and even higher than the level of Neshama which is godliness. So that's super technical and very, very cryptic. But the basic idea, that's that's the end of the section today, but the basic idea to to uh, keep in mind with all of this is that uh, is, is this analogy of water. So it's like the, the Torah, specifically the laws, the halachas, are like water that descends from a very high place to a very low place. And the channel descent for this is through this level, which we call the neshama, specifically the neshama of the worlds of, uh, of Bria and Yetzirah. And to be even more specific, it's the level of malchus within these levels of neshama. And so since the, where it's, it goes through this channel of neshama, neshama is very different than the levels of nefesh and ruach because nefesh and ruach, they are considered more to be creation, creations versus neshama is more considered to be more of this like just emanation. It's, it's, it's not filtered in the same way. And so since it's coming down like this water that's unfiltered that comes just straight down, then the nefesh and ruach levels, which are the levels through which uh, we're which we experience this love and fear of God, whether we're talking about angels or whether we're talking about souls, then this love and fear of God, because its source comes from this higher neshama level, it quenches their thirst. So that's the end of the section today. Uh, it's very technical, I know. And there's, like I said, there's a lot more that can, that uh, needs to be explored that can be looked into and things like that. And tomorrow we're going to get even deeper into the weeds with all of this, but uh, stick with it and, uh, and we'll continue along this journey together and I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzchak Ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, Please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. 
To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.